Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Well, we want to continue tonight with this that we have been on, entitled, Give No Place. And uh, our foundation scripture has been Ephesians 4, (coughs) uh, 25 through 27. And of course, Paul, in those verses, uh, he says uh, to not lie to one another, to every man to speak truth with his neighbor. And then he makes the statement, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And uh, then he says, Uh, neither give place to the devil. And we've been dealing with that uh, because the Woos Bible says that we can stop giving an occasion for acting or opportunity to the devil. And uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time uh, recapping that. That's been our foundation. But something that the Lord keeps talking to me about, we're going to get into tonight, is this idea of deception and yielding, deception and yielding. Uh, As believers, we have to understand one of his main tools is deception, all right? One of his main tools is deception. As a matter of fact, uh, his whole goal is to deceive. And uh, because he knows in order to exert any authority in a believer's life, he's got to keep them in ignorance. And to do that, he has to deceive them. All right? Deception, you can look in 1 Timothy 2, deception was his tool in the beginning. In the very beginning. Uh, Paul, writing here to Timothy, he says in 1 Timothy 2, 14, and Adam was not deceived, and it says... But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Adam was not deceived. The woman being deceived was in the transgression. So notice this. He had to deceive Eve. Now here's why. She had heard the truth. And he had to deceive her. He had to delude her thinking about this. That word delude means to mislead the mind or judgment of a person. So he had to mislead her. He had to deceive her, delude her thinking. See, deception has to do with the mind. It has to do with the thinking or the judgment. All right, there's times you'll run into even believers and and you'll talk to them about something and you'll come away thinking, Boy, they're not thinking right. Guess what? They're not. A lot of times they're not. And a lot of times it's because they're deceived. And people will say, is it possible for a believer to be deceived? Oh, yes. A thousand times yes. It's possible. If, now here's the thing. The the enemy cannot just do what he wants to do. I I have a problem sometimes with testimonies of, of believers that leave you with the impression 
that the enemy just did something and they had no power to stop it. Oh, yes, we can. Uh, we, we, we took several weeks and said and taught about how the Bible says you resist the devil and he'll flee from you. All right, but here's the thing. The devil had to deceive Eve to get her to influence her husband. All right, this isn't about placing blame. The focus is on the deception. All right, Scripture says very plainly she was deceived. So his mode of operation from the beginning of humankind, of mankind, was deception. If I can deceive them, if I can delude their thinking, if I can get them misled, then I can steal from them. I can rob from them. I can, in, in this case, I can take the world through deception. Notice in Genesis 3, Genesis chapter 3, let's go look at this because it's, it's going to speak so much to what we're looking at tonight. When, uh, when I was a children's pastor, and uh, uh, we, we have this guy back here in, the, in, the, in Fort Faith too, uh, we had one of our puppet characters called Negatron. Well, Negatron was the devil, all right? And you know, uh, uh, the puppet Negatron, he's got a long red cape and pointy ears, and he's red, right? Well, I mean, that is to set him apart so the kids will know you're dealing with the devil. But you know, the devil's never going to come like that. When I used to do Negatron, I'd hold him up here and I'd say, Yeah, Tommy, you know, you ought to lie to your friend or you ought to tell your mom you did your homework and you didn't. Ha, 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 ha. Right? <coughs> and Tommy'd go, I don't want to do that. I want to tell the truth. No, you want to lie. You'll stay out of trouble that way. Right? <laughs> Well, the devil's never going to come like that, right? If, if, if you think about this, when he showed up in the garden, the Bible says he came and operated through the most subtle creature God had created. That's so important. Why? Because there was no deception expected out of that animal. None, none expected. In Genesis 3, 4 and 5, notice what it says. And the serpent said to the woman, now we know this is the devil operating through the serpent, but the serpent said to the woman, notice this, you shall not surely die. Verse 5, for God knows in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now notice where this starts. Chapter 3 there, verse 1, midway through, notice he says, uh, has God said? Did God say that? All right, deception. He knows full well God said that. But in order to move somebody away from something, you've got to start getting them to question what was said. And in order to get them to question what was said, you've got to deceive them. Amen. And then he said, notice, here's why God doesn't want you to have anything to do with this tree. Because God knows something that he's not letting you in on. He's hiding something from you. Right? And now how your Bible reads? Because God knows in the day you eat of that tree, you'll be as gods, right? Here's what God knew. 
what he told them. The day you eat of that tree, you are going to die. Is that right? There's no deception there. It's the plain black and white truth. Stay away from that tree because the day you eat of it, you're going to die. You're going to die spiritually and then you're going to die physically. And notice what the enemy does. God is hiding something from you. He's keeping something from you. That's deception. You hear that today in church. You just don't hear it that way. And I'm not saying people are overtly trying to deceive. But something will happen to someone and they'll say something like this. Well, you know, God's ways are above our ways. There's a reason for it. We just don't know it. In other words, God's keeping something from you. Now, here's my question. How would you ever again be able to trust God if you thought he was keeping something from you? So through that deception, he violates their trust they had with God. This, this is a breach of trust. I don't, I, don't, I don't longer trust God because he's hiding something from me. And, and the deception caused her to look at that tree in a way she had never looked at it before. Amen. It says she looked at the tree and thought, boy, it, it looks good. It'll make one wise. It looks good to eat. We have no record that she ever said that before until the deception came. Amen. So this did two things. Number one, it caused Eve to question God. Hmm. As God, did God really say that? I mean, is it really that bad? And secondly... It placed her at odds with God and His Word. The Bible says the Word is light. Your, your Word, the Bible says, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119 verse 130 says, The entrance of your Word gives light. So the Word is light. When I move away from the Word, I move into darkness. Darkness is where deception's at. Amen. The more you question God, the darker it gets. God doesn't mind questions that are born out of ignorance. Questions, I don't, I don't understand something. But when you begin to question what God said, the darker it gets. Right? If you start questioning, for instance, something like this. Well, I know the Bible says, by His stripes I'm healed, but why don't I feel better? Just going to get darker. Just going to get darker. Why? Because you can't hold on to faith and the question at the same time. You got to let one of them go. Amen. Somebody will, will give a financial testimony of, of a breakthrough that God gave them or a victory that God gave them. And somebody sitting in the, in the audience will, will, will start thinking this way. Well, I'm sowing and, and I haven't seen a harvest yet. That's deception. That thought did not just originate with them. That's deception. And the more I think that way, the darker it's going to get. And the more you think on the question, the more deceived you'll become. Amen. 
because it's, 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 it's in that realm of darkness. To imply that God's hiding something from you is to imply God's lying. And that's deception. God's not hiding anything from anybody. He gave you the textbook with every one of the answers. So he's not hiding anything from anybody. And people will quote the scripture uh, from Deuteronomy. Well, the secret things belong to the Lord. Well, that's true. They do. But understand something. There is a reasonable explanation and a reason for everything that happens to somebody. And if they're honest enough to get in the word and look for it, they'll find it. Amen. Amen. For years, you heard this about Job. Well, you know, God allowed that to Job, and, and nobody knows why. I do. Job told us, I feared a fear, and what I feared came on me. That's what he said. Amen. Do you see that? So to imply that God's hiding something from you is to imply that God's lying. And those statements are designed to deceive. See, just, just settle it right now. God has, God has no purpose in sickness. He has no purpose in poverty. He has no purpose in destruction. He has no purpose in failure. So there's no reason to ask, well, you know, what purpose did God have in this? None, zero, none, none, zero. Well, but you know, the song says, my trials only come to make me strong. Too bad that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we find our strength in the Lord, not in our trial. Hmm, kind of quiet here. See, that can deceive somebody. That will, that will lull you into an attitude of non-resistance. Because if the trial makes me stronger, if it's going to teach me something, then just don't resist it. No, you're to resist everything that's of the devil. Everything. Don't be deceived. You're to resist it. Amen. Yeah, but the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Don't stop there. Don't stop. And the Lord delivers them out of them all. Do you see that? Listen, I grew up in a denomination where we suffered for Jesus. I mean, we suffered good for Jesus. Amen. And people would stand up and testify how they were suffering for Jesus. It's a hard old way. Y'all pray with me that I'll bear my burden. When 2 Peter says that you're supposed to cast your care and your burden on the Lord because He cares for you. Jesus said, if you're carrying a heavy load and a heavy burden, come to me and exchange it for a light burden and an easy load. See, but deception. And so the enemy will take Scripture and twist it. You're, you're going to face enough challenges for believing God without not resisting the devil. Amen. So God's instruction was designed to protect. He wasn't hiding anything. He was completely up front. If you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Completely up front. Because God doesn't deceive. He is true. Now, Satan's statement 
obscured, it covered what God had said. God said, don't eat or you'll die. And Satan said, well, God's hiding something from you. Did God really say that? I've had people ask me, well, you, I mean, you mean God will heal every time? Yes, every time. Yeah, but I know so-and-so. That doesn't count. If the greatest healing evangelist in the world dies of cancer, it doesn't change what the Bible says. He does not validate this word. This word validates him. And, and, and that's, what you got, that's what you got to stay with so you're not deceived. Amen. Look at Matthew 26. Matthew 26. I, I want to show you some more things about his mode of operation. Matthew 26 and uh, verse 6. Now, it says, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, this was a man that had been healed of leprosy, there came unto him a woman, having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when the disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. So Matthew states here, the disciples were indignant. The word indignant simply means this, very displeased. <laughs> think, think about this. They were very displeased that something good had happened to Jesus. Right? And they called what this woman did for Jesus a waste. The Woost Bible says dead loss. All right? Meaning, it's just wasted. It's, it's a total loss. Right? How many know nothing that's done for Jesus is a waste? Right? I mean, we, we, we hear that and we think, my Lord. Well, I mean, they, they weren't born again. They weren't new creatures yet. We'll give them that, all right? We don't want to be too hard on them. But the point is, they saw this and they said, this is a waste. Well, the Bible in John 1 calls Jesus the Word. So then nothing done for the Word is a waste. Now, why is that important? Because the enemy will try to deceive people. Amen. Oh, you're, you're working there at that church. You're believing you're doing this and you're doing that and nobody appreciates you and, and, and you're just doing this and that. Listen, nothing you do for the Word is a waste. Amen. Now, and the enemy will try to deceive you with that. He's, he's working on deception here and we're going to read in a minute. He got one of them. Deception. I heard a minister one time, he said that he was, uh, uh, he had come in from off the road, he had been traveling, and they were remodeling the church that they were in, and he said, I came in, and people were working, they were painting and putting down new carpet and, and, and doing different things, 
And he said, I was walking around to the various people and I was saying, I sure appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming in and working. And he said, I got four or five people. You know, I said, thank you. And he said, uh, uh, I'd said, thank you to this, this person. And the Lord said, stop that. And he said, I backed up and I said, Lord, I'm, I'm just being grateful. He said, uh, uh, he said, listen, son. He said, if your neighbor was mowing his yard, would you go over to him in his yard and say, whew, sure appreciate you mowing your yard. He said, no, you wouldn't do that. He said, now, this, there's mind renewal needed in this area. He said, this is their church. It's not just your church. Why is that important? I've watched people over the years. I've had people come to me after all I've done for this church. After all, I've, all the help I've been to you. Well, it's not just my church. It's our church. See, then, then I'm not able to be deceived. This is my church. This is where God told me to be. This is my church. And so, in my church, I have a responsibility to help, to do what I can do. Some can do more, some can do less. We all do what we can. But here's, here's the point that I'm using. The, the enemy cannot deceive somebody who's thinking right and doesn't think that anything they do for the church is a waste. Right? That anything that they do for the church, that somebody should always be patting them on the back. Now, we're appreciative and we show it. But you understand what I mean. If I go in expecting that and I go in doing it for that reason, then I'm prime candidate to be deceived. Oh, hallelujah. Look at John chapter 12. And Matthew says the disciples were indignant, very displeased. John chapter 12, verse 3. This is the same account. John gives us a little more uh, detail. It says, then Mary took, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of that ointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag, and bear what was put therein. Now this, in my opinion, I believe it's bore out in Scripture, is the beginning of Judas' deception. There, we don't know how long he thought about this or how long the enemy had played with his mind, but at this point, notice what it says. It says that one of his disciples said, why wasn't this sold for 300 pence? and given to the poor. Well, he didn't care for the poor. He had the love of money. Amen. He became offended because something good was done for Jesus. See, that's what I was saying uh, earlier. You got to guard your heart because somebody will give a, a financial testimony. God brought me out of debt. God did this. God blessed us. God did this. 
And if you're not cautious, you'll sit there and think, well, I'm sowing, I'm giving, why isn't it happening for me? Why isn't nothing like that happening for me? No, you need to respond to that thought with this word, yet. It hadn't happened yet, but it's coming. It's on the way, right? Your debt freedom is on the way. Your financial breakthrough is on the way. Whatever you need, it's on the way. Why? Because you have sown, you have given, so it's going to come back to you. Oh, glory. Do you see that? That is evidence of deception. When a person gets offended, they're deceived. Yeah, but you know, you know, Pastor, there are people that, that have a right to be offended. Not according to the Scripture. It says to guard your heart against offense. To not allow it in. Why? It's deceptive. It's deceptive. John chapter 13. And I wanted to get here the other night, and we did tonight. This is so important because we're going to begin to look at some things that show us the, the mode of operation of the enemy, the way he functions. And uh, this, this is so important because the way he functions is so mundane. It's, it's just, it's almost boring. Because he's not a big fireworks guy. Amen. He works through the areas of, of thoughts, impressions, leadings. And, and he's trying to get a person to yield. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father... Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. One translation, the Woos Bible says, he hurled into the heart of Judas with such a force that it stayed there to betray him. So that, that gives us an idea that he had tried it before, and Judas had shook it off, but this time he let it stay. The Weymouth translation says this, While supper was proceeding, the devil having by this time suggested to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, the thought of betraying him. The thought of betraying How does he get something in your heart? He gets it in your mind first. If he gets it in your mind first, he gets it into your heart. All right? That, that's, that's why the scripture tells us the two places that we guard are our minds and our heart. It says guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. But it talks about having to renew our minds, being renewed in the spirit of our minds, guarding our minds, girding up the loins of our minds. Consistently, all through the New Testament, we're told to do something with our mind. What? That's the entry place. Your spirit is a sealed system. The enemy has no access to it. In order to get something into your spirit or into your heart, he's got to get it into your mind. Because the mind is the control valve. It's the faith valve. The mind is the control center. If he gets something in your mind, he can get it into your heart. 
Because what you think on and what you meditate on, according to Scripture, ends up in your heart. That's how it works. Whether it's right or wrong, whether it's deceptive or truth, that's how it works. If I meditate on the truth, according to Joshua uh, uh, 1, if I meditate on the Word of God night and day, and I store it up in my heart, my way will be prosperous, and everything that I do will succeed. But I can, I can meditate on the wrong thing, the wrong thought, and get moved farther away from the things of God. Even, even a believer. See, a, a sinner has no defense against this. They don't know they can cast down imaginations. We do. I don't have to let the devil put a thought in my mind. But that's, understand this, hear your pastor tonight. That's how he's always going to come. Always. People say, well, he put sickness on me, but it, it, it was accompanied with the thought of how sick you were. The sickness didn't just come. The thought came too. Amen. So in order to get something in our heart, he has to get it into our thoughts. Now, how long he pressured Judah's mind, we don't know. But he did it until he began to think on it. And from there, it was a matter of time until it showed up in his heart. There came a time he yielded to it. Notice in Proverbs 7 and verse 21. Now, I want to show you an example of how this operates. Proverbs 7, of course, is uh, the scripture, uh, the chapter in Proverbs that talks about uh, 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 the, the, the loose woman, the harlot. And when you start reading Proverbs chapter 7, it starts almost, it starts in the early parts of that chapter. And it says, he said, I looked through the casement of my window. Right, I, went, I looked out into the marketplace. And he said, I saw among the young men a simpleton, a, a young man void of wisdom, it says. All right? And it says he was going along the pathway towards this woman's house and that she came and she was dressed seductively and she came and she caught him and she began to tell him things. All right? I perfumed my bed. Uh, my husband's gone. He's taken a lot of money. He's not going to be back for a long time. Uh, I, have, I have all of these sacrifices and meat offerings, so we'll have plenty to eat, right? And she's enticing him and trying to seduce him. But then verse 21 of chapter 7 says something. It says, with her much flattering speech, she caused him to yield. To yield. Notice, this tells us up till that point, he hadn't given in yet. But she kept on until he yielded. This is important. Because the enemy can do nothing in my life if I won't yield. If I won't yield. If he throws a million thoughts a day your way, you can cast down a million thoughts a day. Because I have the authority to do that. But make no mistake, this is what he's trying to get, is for that person to yield. Because he did not know in his yielding, Scripture says, that it would cost him his life. 
And it said, he went after her straightway like an ox to the slaughter or a, a bird to the fowler. Right? And, and, and Scripture tells us over and over again, don't pass that way. Stay away from her neighborhood. Don't go there. Why? Because the yielding, she's, th this spirit, the devil's going to try to get you to yield. Amen. Yielding. In uh, Judges 16, Judges 16, we see another example of this. You said, I thought we were talking about Judas. We are. How long, think about this, how long did it take till he yielded? Because think about this. Jesus had went and spent all night praying. And after he had spent all night praying, he came down to his group of disciples. There were more than 12 at that point. And out of that larger group, it says he chose 12 after praying all night. Now, I've heard preachers preach and almost uh, intimate that Jesus made a mistake with Judas or that Judas was just an unwilling pawn for the devil in the beginning. No, no, he wasn't. He was not a pawn for the devil in the beginning. He was chosen by Jesus to be an apostle. If, if, if his fate was sealed from the day Jesus chose him, then there is no free will. Then Judas wasn't a free will agent. He had to choose to yield. He had to choose to be possessed. Does that make sense? Judas saw the dead raised. Judas was one of those that was sent out that cast out devils and came back rejoicing. Judas was there when Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Judas probably went, amen, that's right. He was there when they let the man down in front of Jesus and, and the man got up and walked off. He was there when Lazarus was raised. He was in the boat when Jesus walked on the water. He was there when Jesus calmed the storm. Amen. What, what, what does that tell us? That nobody, nobody is immune to deception if they don't refuse to yield. Amen. Just, just seeing all this, we would think, Man, I would be totally convinced you couldn't convince me otherwise. If you let, Brother Hagin would always say this. He would say, unspoken thoughts die unborn. If you deal with them, they die unborn. Amen. Did you find Judges 16? Oh, I have time to look at it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I trust we're helping you tonight. And I've had people say, well, you know, but that was just a thought. No such thing as just a thought. It's trying to get you to yield to something. Judges 16, verse 6. Now, this is obviously the story of Samson and Delilah. We're not going to read it all, but notice this. Verse 6. And Delilah said to Samson, I pray thee, wherein your great strength lieth. Verse 10, and Delilah said to Samson, you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell me where you, where you might be bound. Verse 13, 
Delilah said to Samson, you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell me wherewith you might be bound. Verse 15, she said, how can you say you love me when you've not told me wherewith in your great strength lieth? Verse 16, and it came to pass when she pressed him daily. She pressed him daily. Do you see that? With her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. See, now that's a type of the enemy. She did this every day. What's the secret of your strength? What's the secret of your strength? What's the secret of your strength? And vexed his soul. And, 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 and you can read verse 17. What did he do? He yielded. He yielded. Now, Samson had a problem putting himself in bad places anyway. Amen. But he, notice, he resisted one, two, three, four times. But notice that the devil kept coming back, and, and I know it was Delilah, but for sake of our teaching, the enemy kept coming back. The enemy came back four times. Right? How can you say you love me and you won't even tell me where your strength is? God said don't. Is that right? God said, God said don't do it. So Samson, as powerful as he was, when he yielded, he yielded. Well, if, if you cut my hair, I'll be like other men. Deception. Right? That's how the enemy works. She pressed him daily. Amen. So that's why Scripture says you get up every day and you put on the whole armor of God and you can stand against the wiles of the devil. That's why Paul wrote the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians and said we're not ignorant of his devices. We know how he operates. We know his plan. Right? Don't yield. Just don't yield. Say it out loud. Don't yield. Amen. Hallelujah. There's not a believer that you know that hadn't yielded at some point in their life. Ever how small or large it may be, but you don't have to. Amen. Oh, glory. Now, Judas was so deceived, he gave no thought about what he was going to lose. Didn't think about it. Uh, you can write this down and read it when you get home. Acts 1, 16 through 17. Uh, Peter, of course, they were in the upper room, and they were, they were praying about Judas' replacement. And the Woos Bible says concerning Judas, he was numbered among us and received his portion of this ministry. Whew. You know what ministry he's talking about? Jesus' ministry. It says he had received a portion of it. That's powerful to me. Uh, the Weymouth translation says, He was reckoned as one of our number, and a share in this ministry was allotted to him. See, Judas was not a non-factor. He had a part. Part of his inheritance was part of that ministry. Think about it. He could have been in the upper room, 
He could have been there when the Holy Spirit was poured out. He could have been there on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people came to Jesus at one time. But instead he hung himself and his body hung there till it was rotten and fell off the tree and burst asunder. Think about that. Because of what? He yielded. Amen. The Passion Translation says, He was chosen to be an apostle just as we were. Jesus chose him. Amen. Now, I know he chose us as well, but think about that. Jesus handpicked him. He called his name out of that crowd. Judas, you're one of the twelve. Judas probably shouted. He was probably happy. He was probably excited about it. Amen. He would have been remembered as one of the founding apostles of the Lamb. Notice Revelation 21, 14. We won't go there. You can if you want, but we won't go there. It says this. It says that in the new city, the new Jerusalem, it has 12 foundations. And in each of the foundation stones, the names of the apostles of the Lamb. So when we get to the new city, the new Jerusalem, we can walk around that city in the 12 foundation stones. There will be the name of one of the apostles of the Lamb in the foundation of the new city, the new Jerusalem. And Judas' name could have been there. But he yielded to a thought. Now, do you see how thoughts, there are no unimportant thoughts? There are no unimportant thoughts. Hallelujah. Instead, he's remembered as a traitor and a thief. People name their dogs Judas. You wouldn't think of naming your child Judas. At least, I don't think you would. Because it's, it's significant with a traitor. But what caused him? He wasn't always that. What caused it? He yielded. Now, I'm going to end on a high note. Just bear with me. <laughs> Ephesians 6, 11, It says, I quoted it earlier. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles is the strategies, the deceit, the trickery. That's what it means. So, so notice what his, his mode of operation is. Deceit, trickery, lies. What does this mean? We're able to stand against it. We don't have to be deceived. We don't have to be tricked. Amen. I say all the time, I'm not going to be tricked. When the, enemy, when the enemy throws something at my mind, I say, look, hang on, hang on. I'm never going to give in. I'm never going to give in. I will be fighting you every day. I'm never going to give in to that. Yeah, but why do you say that? I want him to know. If you get up tomorrow and load up your thought gun, I'm going to cast them down. I'm going to slap them down, and I am not responsible if you get caught in the carnage. Amen. Hallelujah. I, I remember we had just started the ministry some year, well, 20-plus years ago. And uh, it, it was just one of those situations where the enemy was just, just fighting our mind, and, and we were overcoming uh, some old religious mindsets 
uh, of different individuals that were trying to give, give the ministry a hard time. And we were sitting in our house. We lived in Gardner, Kansas then. And we were sitting in our house and the enemy was just bombarding my mind. And I finally just jumped up in the middle of the living room. And I said, you listen to me, Mr. Devil. You're not getting me today. You're not getting me tomorrow. You're not getting me next week, next month, next year. You're not getting me at any time. Matter of fact, if you, if you get any ground on me at all, you're going to be busy. Because I've got things to do. All of us, we have a mandate from heaven about what we got to do with our life and what we have to do with what God's asked us to do. We can't yield for one minute, one second, one moment of time. Amen. 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul was talking about the forgiveness of this man that, that they had put out of the church for cohabitating with his stepmother. But then he had repented. And Paul said, now I want you to bring him back and forgive him. And he said, because we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. Right? Of his thoughts, his purposes. This is that word that also means with a road, a road that's traveled. We're not ignorant how he operates. We talked about that, I think it was the other Sunday, that he'll bombard your mind with a thought because he's trying to pave a road. He says we're not ignorant of that. We know his thoughts and purposes are that. So we stand against it. We don't yield to it. Amen. Here's our last scripture. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. This is a familiar scripture. Oh, glory. It says that we are to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Right? That word imagination is reasonings. If you, if you look in the King James, in most King James Bibles, in the center column reference, reasonings. Reasonings. It carries the idea of a, uh, of a debate. And you've got two different thought processes going on. And there's one that's right and one that's wrong. You've got to cast the wrong one down. The Woost Bible says demolishing reasonings. Demolishing reasonings. And every haughty mental of ele elevation that lifts itself up against the experiential knowledge which we believers have of God. So what's your experiential knowledge of God? He's good. He's merciful. He's loving. He's kind. He's a healer. He's a blesser. Right? That's the experiential knowledge we have of God. And then he said, we lead captive every thought into the obedience of the Christ. Notice. We yield to something, but it's not the devil. We yield to the Spirit. We yield to the Word of God. When, when a thought comes and you cast it down, you have just yielded to the Word. And the power of the Word will begin to work because I yielded to the Word. Hallelujah. 
Do you see that? When, in, in, in the very beginning of a lot that the world's going through, uh, and, and I say it that way because I, I feel like the Lord led me to say it like that, but uh, I, I remember, uh, at, at, well, it would have been the first service back that I, had, that I held here in March, and uh, it was uh, me and Pastor Michelle and uh, Kim and Richard, I think, because they were, they were running the, the live stream. And uh, uh, I made the statement on that, that Sunday morning that, that, that our, none of our people would lose their jobs, that we were protected, that no evil would befall us, and no plague would come near our dwelling. Now, I'm not saying that to promote me. I'm saying we yielded to that. And it's been that way. And we believe it's going to stay that way. Hallelujah. There's a lot happening in the spirit realm right now. And it's more than just political. There's never been so much demonic activity in an election year like there is right now. But on the right on the other hand, there's never been such angelic activity like there is right now. We are witnessing the rebirth of our nation. We're, I say we're witnessing the rebirth of our nation. I heard a man prophesy today, and I have some confidence in him, and he said, he said, we are setting ourselves up for the most peaceful four-year period of time we've ever seen. Now, I yielded to that. I yield to that in the name of Jesus. Right? I want to put that in my mouth, and I want to declare that. Because you're always going to hear different things. And, and we know the importance of keeping our words right, but it's what we're yielding to. When you say, I'm, 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 I'm the healed and not the sick, every disease, germ, and virus dies instantly when it touches my body, you have just yielded to the word. My wife helped me see this one time. You know, wives can do that. And, and you got to be real spiritually minded sometimes when they say things or you'll do a slow burn. You understand? I don't know if you've ever done that. But uh, one day, man, I was just, I had, I, had, I had had a, just like a month of just back to back to back to back things. And we had had a conference that we were in and, and uh, uh, I had driven down and I had to preach the night that I got there and then I had to, to do a, uh, an afternoon session the next day, and then I had to preach that night, and, and then I was in, we had a guest speaker coming in, and so I had to be up early and get to the airport and pick them up, and it was just all day, all day, and in between, I'm not sleeping, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just running on fumes the whole day, and then after that Sunday morning, I got up early and drove back here to teach school here on Monday night. And then I got up the next morning, came to the office, you know, because I'm stubborn. And then I got to preach Wednesday, and, and I had like four or so weeks of that kind of activity just back to back to back. And I just wore myself out, and I found myself saying something. Now, I know you never do anything like this, but <laughs> I, I found myself saying to my wife, I just don't understand. I just, I just... I don't have any energy. I just, I don't understand. Now, people say, well, the, you know, your, your words were wrong. Well, they were, but here's, here's the thing. She made the statement to me. She said, Philip, you got to stop that because you're making that a point of fact. That that's how you are without energy. 
And she said, you got to change that. you got to say, up till this point, I've had no energy, but i got energy now. You say, what would you do? Well, I did like Ronald Reagan. I went, well, uh, okay. <laughs> Somebody asked him, they said, Mr. Reagan, they said, why do you always look down when you say, well, he said, if you owned a horse branch, you'd look down too. Amen. Anyway. <laughs> you say, what's that got to do with the message? Nothing at all. But the, the point is, is, see how deceptive that can be? You've got to yield to something. When deceptive thoughts come, our assignment is demolish them. Slap them down. Don't listen to them. Amen. We don't entertain them. What if they come in the night when I'm asleep? Then you might have to wake up and slap them down. Amen. Amen. But don't lay there and toss and turn and try to get comfortable with the enemy trying to force feed thoughts into your mind. You're better to get up and lose 45 minutes of sleep and get your mind at peace and yield to the Holy Spirit and go back to sleep. I'll end with this. Brother Hagin said this. When you resist anything of the devil, you're resisting the devil. When you resist his thoughts, you're resisting him. When you resist sickness, you're resisting him. It's so important that I, that I, that I don't yield to that. And you know, I'm like, I'm like the Apostle Paul. I think good thoughts about everybody in our church. And I know you don't yield. But it's just a reminder, don't do it. Because that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to just, he's, the Lord said when I wrote the book, Refusing to Care, he said something to me because I kept, I was in, uh, I got two minutes. I was uh, 7.58. So I, uh, I, that would be one hour of power. So anyway, I was in uh, Toronto. Pastor Michelle and I were in Toronto, uh, Ontario, helping pastor. And uh, uh this was at the time when Miss Jeannie wasn't traveling with him and uh, before the Lord healed her. And uh, he came down one morning. He began to talk to us about Matthew 24, where it talks about one of the issues in the last days will be surfeiting, that, that people will, you know, they'll be surfeiting. And that stuck in my spirit, and I began to, to look at that. And that word surfeiting is an overemphasis on self is what it means. And uh, it opens the door for care. Jesus said that. And so when the Lord began to reveal that to me, I began to study that. And he said to me one day, he said, the danger with care is this, is when you start carrying care, it props the door open for the enemy to bring everything else in your life he wants to. Because that care holds the door open. Well, when you yield to care, you yield to everything else he wants to bring in. And that's why the scripture says you cast your care on him. Jesus said, don't take any anxious thought saying. Paul said, don't do it. Why? Because it causes me to yield. It causes me, when I yield to anything of the devil, I'm yielding to the devil. If I yield to his thoughts, I'm yielding to him. If I yield to worry or care, I'm yielding to him or frustration or offense. Amen. 
The world should be able to look at us and just by the peace we have, know they know something I don't know. Amen. Because folks, right now, people are looking for people that have something good to say, people that have peaceful peace in their lives. We were, we were eating today. We found a new restaurant we wanted to eat at, and we were eating. And, and the waiter came, and you know that everybody's kind of hesitant when they come to your table, but when you're, you know, if you don't jump back real quick or whatever, you know, and, and you start talking and, and you're being peaceful and you're being joyful, the whole atmosphere changes. Amen. So say it out loud one more time. I will not yield to anyone or anything but the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. I will not yield to the enemy, to his thoughts, to his plans, or his desires. I will cast them down. I will demolish them. I am an overcomer. I am victorious. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We'll stand up, everyone.